Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreat.com. And if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20% off, you will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tieouts, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP20% off. At checkout, go to their website today at dogsartreed.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many, day, how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can, to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm, I'm out there. Join us for every heart-pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm going to hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. Welcome back to the Houndsman XP Podcast. Man, you guys have been killing it for Houndsman XP lately. Our social media platforms are going wild i mean lauren and seth and i were just talking about it this week our engagements are up we're really enjoying those posts you're posting over on the houndsman xp facebook group and also on instagram uh you're hitting that hashtag you follow your hounds and that's blowing up it's great great news for houndsman xp and we really appreciate you we also announced this week uh, a very special giveaway to all of our patreon supporters that announcement is we are giving away a Dakota 283 G3 medium kennel and a Dash 3.5 uh, watering system, watering tank. You can pick up that video on our 
Houndsman XP Facebook group, all our platforms there, and check that out. To give you a quick rundown about uh, that giveaway, this is how it's going to work. If you are currently a Patreon sponsor, you, you support us on Patreon, then you're in the drawing. We're, we've already got a drawing. We've already got an entry sitting there waiting for you. If you sign up by Patreon by August 1st, you will be included in the drawing. So there's two ways. The third way you can get an additional entry is refer a fellow houndsman to the Houndsman XP podcast Patreon page. Get them on board to support Houndsman XP, support our lifestyle, and um, you're going to get an additional entry for every referral to Patreon. And it's simple. You make the referral, send Seth an email at seth.houndsmanxp at gmail.com with the name of the person that you're referring, and we'll get get another entry for you. We're going to draw that at the end of September, and then this prize package is worth about four hundred and seventy-five bucks or so, four fifty to four seventy-five. You're going to like this stuff. It's high grade. The Dakota two eight three is um, uh, a company that's leading the way in manufacturing. They add antimicrobial properties to their production process that uh, improves the health of your hound, keeps the funky stuff off of you and off your kids. So super safe, great, innovative product, and it's very durable. I'm telling you, I've I've beat these things around. I've put them through the paces. They can stand up to the, the abuse of a houndsman. Supporting this lifestyle is easy on Patreon. So you just go to the Houndsman XP website at houndsmanxp.com, click on the support button, and you can start supporting this lifestyle for as little as $1 per show. That's right, $4 a month is all it takes to become a Patreon sponsor and support this lifestyle. Get involved in this drawing that we're having a $500, uh, almost a $500 giveaway just for becoming a Patreon sponsor. But think about it, $4 a month. So what does that give you? It gives you access to all of our discount codes from Dogs Are Treed, from uh, uh, Stickbow, from Dakota283. When you sign up for Patreon, you're going to get cool logo wear gear from us. Uh, You're going to get a subscription to Southern Hound Hunting Magazine if you come in at the highest level. So there's a lot of benefits there, but the best benefit is you are actually making an investment in this lifestyle to keep this show on the air, to preserve, protect, and promote. We're doing that all the time on this show and working with your state organizations to make sure that the current news is out there to fight legislative actions against our freedoms. And that's what we're using Patreon for. We're using Patreon so that we can we can get out there and, and support freedom hunters and put our Amer- uh, America's heroes back in the field hunting. So what a great, great way for you to step up and support the houndsman lifestyle. And here is a teaser for you. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna expose the whole thing yet, but within the next couple of weeks, you are going to have the opportunity to become more involved and more engaged with Houndsman XP. 
it's going to be special. It's going to give you the opportunity to interact directly with us through Patreon, and we're really excited. You're going to be seeing some announcements coming out very soon about what this new project is. I think you're really going to like it. It's going to give you a direct access to each one of us on um, on a special platform there. So, guys, support us on Patreon. We really appreciate it. Now, for this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast, I am very happy to bring you one of the legendary breeders of the English Coonhound breed. I drove 10 hours in one day to capture this interview for Houndsman XP fans. And we've got Jim Ridge on the podcast this week. I practically had to hold a gun on Jim, but that's why I drove all that way. I knew that if I cornered him face to face that he wouldn't turn me down. You're going to hear how long I've known Jim. But uh, guys, I'm talking about a, a breeder here that established one of the most well-known English coonhound lines, the Briar Creek English. Jim started out in the beginning with passion and desire to accomplish a goal. And some of the accomplishments he's had, he's got five hounds in the Hall of Fame. He is on his seventh or eighth, you'll have to pick it up in the podcast, seventh or eighth generation of stud dog that uh, has come from his own breeding programs. And people throughout the, the Coonhound world know the name Briar Creek English, and it's because of hard work. A lot of times I'll see uh, things posted or hear people say that, you know, the only reason that a dog is great is because they have money behind them. And Jim puts his pants on just like all of us. He was uh, in the laborers union for, he's retired from the laborers union. He worked for a living and he also transferred that hard work over into his coon house. Focused, dedicated dedicated to breeding the best coon hounds he could for his own personal use, but also he's he's got a lot of pups out there that have done a lot of winning as well. We're talking about Purina, Purina Points National Champions uh, Performance Coon Hound Awards. We get a peek at Jim Ridge. One of the things that I had to do was sit in, uh, in the camper with Jim, and we talked about this, but... Um, I practically, like I said, I practically had to hold a gun on him to get this interview. He's he's not a guy that that wants to brag about himself a lot, um, but at the same time, he's got a very special story. And one of the things that I failed to bring out in the interview was the fact that Jim has had a lot of help over the years in accomplishing great things for Briar Creek English and the Coonhound world. He's got a son-in-law, Chris Girth, who is has kind of picked up the pace with Jim and kind of take it, taken the reins or is slowly taking the reins at Briar Creek English. He's got a great handler, Andy Canada, who is who's working in the, the breeding program as well on handling dogs. So Jim wanted to make sure that everybody knew that this wasn't a, a, a Lone Ranger type thing. You know, and, and he talks about the importance of having a team in order to be able to accomplish these sort of things. So one of the things that I've got to tell you about Jim is he's not just been a taker over the years. He hasn't just been the guy that showed up to hunt his dog and, and gone home 
afterwards. He's been involved in his breed organizations. He's been involved uh, with with UKC, and he's been involved in establishing great programs and developing programs for PKC. He jumped on board with us for the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance and jumped in there and and gave us the help we needed to get that organization off the ground. So it's a complete story, folks. It really is. You know, a, a guy works hard his whole life and accomplishes these great things with his English coonhounds, the Briar Creek English. So I think you are really going to enjoy this episode. There's some pearls of wisdom in there. And whether you're an English fan, you, you I don't care if you're breeding uh, poo ticks and you want to you wanna know how to breed a better dog then this, this episode is going to have some pearls of wisdom for you. So I enjoy bringing it to you, but I really enjoy showcasing my friends. And Jim has been a good friend to me over the years. And you're going to hear a great story here about Briar Creek English. Guys, we got a hot track here. It's a box shaker, and we're going to dump the box. Southern Hound Honey Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can... Hunt it with a hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Honey Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle, living it every day to the fullest. From the Rocky Mountains to the Southern Swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond. Go to southernhoundhunting.com. Get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Honey Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. How long, how long have we known each other? What year did we meet? 91? Probably. 1991. How many years had you been, had you been hunting in 1991? When did you start hunting? Well, I, I actually coon hunted before I went to school but mm-hmm. uh, this strain of English dogs that I've run with I've run with the same strain since 1978 where'd all that go back to Jim uh, where'd no, it start my first dog that I promoted was a dog called Grand Knight Champion Brer Creek Chopper and the only big name dog in his pedigree, he was a grandson to Boyd's little Joe. Yeah. Of course, back then, there wasn't a whole lot. When you say there wasn't a lot of titled dogs in his pedigree. Yeah. But he was a grandson to Boyd's little Joe. What year What years was Boyd's little Joe alive? You remember? What year did he die? Do you remember that? I, I, I honestly don't know. It would have probably been in the early 70s. Because so. the first dog I had was uh, was a grandson from Boyd's Little Joe. Yep. Yep. Showed some of that same same bloodline there. Right. Yeah. Right. And then you stuck with that, the same, the same bloodline the whole time. Yeah. Chopper was my first stud dog. We went through this list earlier. Let's see if we can do it again. And then uh, my next stud dog was out of Chopper and a female that was directly off a hard time spec. Mm -hmm. And then 
the third stud dog, I actually Your picked, second one was bush hog, right? Right. Right. So, and then after uh, bush hog was a dog called Briar Creek Snake. And then I'd picked up world champion Sandy mm-hmm. in that. So, really, these dogs originated out of Little Joe, Speck, and Roland Dickey's Jr. dogs. I, I, I got all three of them shoved in there at an early age. Mm-hmm. Snake was probably the first dog that I remember you having, though. It seemed like the, the Briar Creek dogs. I, I mean, I remember Bush Hog. And I even hunted with him, but they were always a real dark liver colored, almost brown, had some brown streaking in them. Well, and then Snake was a little bit lighter colored. Right, right. The, the, the only one that was that color was the Bush Hog Dog. Well, and and now, now I got to head you off. He was not liver, he was chocolate. Chocolate, yeah, yeah. Chopper was a real, real dark red tick. And his mama was so dark blue, she looked like a blue tick. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you get a color. <clears throat> they didn't know if they wanted to be red or blue. And Bush Hog put a lot of that in pups. I, Some I could, of them. I could go around to hunts and say, how's that? Is that a Briar Creek bred dog? Yeah, it's out of Bush Hog. Right, right. And no trait really on that that used to be a lot of them would have a strip of black about two inches long right where the base of their tail come off. Yep. But, and then I went through a period uh, after the snake dog, I hardly ever got any blue pups. I went for years that if it was out of my stud dog, it was red. Mm-hmm. But I'm not real, real smart in genetics. But I had the Huckabuck dog, and Huckabuck and Cabin Creek Rowdy was litter mates. Mm-hmm. Huckabuck was a little light in color, but he was all red tick and reproduced red tick. Cabin Creek Rowdy was a big white dog with a big spot and a handful of ticks on him. Mm-hmm. But Cabin Creek Rowdy got a lot of blue pups. So when I dropped the blue at my place, then blue genetics stayed in that more white-looking dog. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I thought Huckabuck was a was a tricolor. He no. wasn't tricolor? No, no. Which, do, which dog did you have that was tricolor? I ain't, uh, all my stud dogs have been red ticks. <laughs> <laughs> Did, uh, did now, Tom, now, one did, of the hot items out there today that's tri-colored is the Wicked Vapor. Okay. Did Tom? Huh? Did Tom Hacker have a have a tri-colored English dog? A female. We want automotes with her, <clears throat> but she wasn't out of my breeding. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now she was tri-colored. Now, we want automotes in '95. I think you were standing in that picture, maybe, and that's how I could have been. Yeah. Yeah. You just got a little confused. I did. So yeah. you had Huck. No, you had you had Houdini between had, Snake and Huckabuck, right? Right, right. I had uh, 
off a snake come Houdini. Snake fell in the well and drowned when he was three and a half years old. And Houdini was there at seven months old when he died. Mm-hmm. So we up and run with Houdini, and he was a very, very exceptional dog, but I got him killed. He was 27 months old in the final 16 in Boaz, Alabama in the world hunt. I got him run over and killed. And I'd sold this huckabuck dog when he was 15 months old to Ron Beck in Pennsylvania. And when Houdini got killed, Beck told me if I'd stand him at stud, he'd give me half interest in him. And I told him I, I didn't want to do partnerships on a stud dog. And he brought him from Pennsylvania. He had done granted him. He brought him down here. I hunted with him two nights. I bought him back. That's how he's Beck's Pet Hole Creek Huckabuck. Right. But that's the story behind it. I raised him. Mm-hmm. But we, we sold him at 15 months old. And then after, after Buck, what did you have? Well, that would have been... Uh, the the Zeb dog. Zeb was next. Zeb was next. What Zeb accomplish? Uh, we won the Fall Super Stakes in 2002 in Aurora, Kentucky, with him, and we done some other winning. But normally, back then, once you got enough recognition and you went to breeding them, we quit hunting them. Right. Because. If you really pick a, what should be a true stud dog, he's more valuable not to hunt than he is to hunt. Right. Because let's run all the way through the timeline, get everybody up to speed on all the all the dogs that you've had as stud dogs that go back to the beginning. And then I want to talk about that. Okay. I want to talk about how you pick, how you choose a dog. That when you I may to. not tell you all that. <laughs> 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 but we started off with Chopper. I had another dog that I left out of this, but it's just the way the world is. This dog placed fifth in the world hunt. His name was Grand Knight Champion Briar Creek Luke. Uh, John Wick even put him in his first book. Yep. Uh, but me and Luke, I just didn't care for him just because he placed fifth in the world hunt. I didn't keep him very long. I sold him. And then that's when the bush hog dog come into effect. And then, of course, after bush hog was snake. Then after snake was uh, Houdini. And then Houdini got killed at such a young age. Huckabuck was his half-brother. So I bought Huckabuck back off of Ron Beck. And uh, then after Huckabuck, I got, I got to go through it myself. Zeb uh, after Huckabuck. Huh? Zeb. It would have been Zeb after Huckabuck. And then after Zeb, it was a dog called Crone, Grand mm-hmm. Knight Champion Crone. And, uh, of course, Crone's the one. Uh, he reproduced the Wicked Vapor also. Yep. Uh he reproduced uh, the steel dog that we're standing at stud now. Uh, 
with chrome forward, I started getting blue pups again. Because Vapor's a tricolor dog. Vapor's a tricolor yeah, dog. Yeah, I drew him at the Super Stakes. Or was it the World Hunt? It was either the World Hunt or the Super Stakes. It was out of Salem. Yeah. Um, maybe it's a fall Super Stakes. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, he he won the cast that night. He looked good. Right. Got off by himself, treed coons. Well, he's the most moneyest winning English dog in PKC. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's around 85000 now. Yeah. Yeah. So. He, he didn't. He, he There wasn't anything spectacular uh, that he did other than just doing his job. Right. You know, just going and doing his job and right. and treeing raccoons. Yeah. And yep. that carried him on through. I think he got into the final four, maybe even one. Yeah, I know he got into the final four that right. year. So. And then uh, we won the UKC Performance Dog of the Year in 2010. And then we come back in 2017 and won it with the Stone Cold Steel dog that we stud now, which that's the only father and son that has won the performance deal in UKC. Yeah. Yeah, you've ran that. You've ran that circuit quite a bit. Well, I run both of them. Right. But... The UKC people has always been my clientele. They'll buy puppies. Yeah. PKC boys, they want to buy them on Wednesday night and put them in a hunt Friday night. Mm-hmm. I can't train that many. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've leaned towards both of them. Uh, they're both real, real good organizations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's hard not to hunt for money. Yep. Them dogs can't eat them trophies. Uh, At one time, the UKC meant more in the stud dog business. Mm -hmm. But today, it's probably a 50-50 shot. UKC goes to all the trouble to put in the back of their magazine how much all these dogs is reproduced. Right. But then PKC shows it right on the papers how much money they're winning. So it, it's a worse. Uh, they're both promoting herself towards a breeding program at a good rate. And we'll pick up that conversation right after this word from our sponsor. Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field. So over the years, though, it seems like you've always 
you've always kept that stud dog around. You've always tried to keep. The amazing thing is, it's just generation after generation. Right. That you've kept. Have you ever had a dog collected? Never. So you've never done an artificial insemination? No. And I know what this is. Well, yes, we've done artificial insemination. But you've not off of your one of your, one of your studs, right? I, no, we've done artificial, but I've never kept no frozen semen. Why not? I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that's the position I took. Uh, you've told me that. You've told me why before. Well. The real reason is, I said, if I can't keep this strain of dogs a winning and reproducing, I don't want to have to go backwards. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly what you told me then. But with the snake dog dying at three and a half years old, UKC puts it every month back there. Their current reproducers, their historical reproducers. Uh, at one time, four of the top ten historical reproducers was either a son or a grandson to snake. And today, three of them still in there. What dogs are those, Jim? Well, the ones that's still in there, of course, would be the number two in the historical was the Huckabuck dog. Then the number three dog is the Zeb dog. And then Cabin Creek Rowdy, I think, now is in 10th place, ninth or 10th. Yeah. Uh, but Rowdy, percentage-wise, Rowdy reproduced as good as Huckabuck. He just, being in Oklahoma, he didn't get to breed as many females. Right. As like I did being in Indiana. How many How many females you thought, how many females did you typically breed to with a year with one of your stud dogs? Well, now that's, that's not a fair question because take the chopper dog, I was just getting my foot in the door, and you got to prove yourself. Right. I was a bumping heads with Ed Bates, Roland Dickey, Burton Oney. I mean, right. <laughs> uh, back then, I was lucky to breed five or six a year. Right. Now, since then, it's still not a fair question, but I would breed anywhere from 20 to 40 females a year outside. When Bushog was alive, you were breeding. He, he was still in the lower half because I was just... I was just but you were starting to break into it at that point with yeah, Bushog. Yeah. You had the room there in the barn that was your breeding room. Right, and, right. Oh, yep. yeah. But, I mean, it kept getting better and better, but you got to prove yourself. Sure. I mean, you can't. What what do you what do you have to do? What do you, what what did you have to do to prove yourself? Because I think if you walk around, if you walk around any coonhound event, Jim, or and especially some place like English Days where we are right now, um, people would definitely qual. You've you've qualified as a breeder. Oh, definitely. What did you have to do to get to that point? You got to reproduce tree dogs, coon dogs. I mean, 
but to get there, you have to spend a lot of hours running up and down the highway. You got to enter a lot of hunts, and you got to win. Mm-hmm. You got to draw attention. If you ain't winning, they may know you today, but if you ain't winning, they forget you just a lot quicker than what it did to take the build up to get there. Sure. Uh, if you don't stay in that winter circle, it ain't going to work. Mm-hmm. And then you got a lot of pleasure hunters still. I mean, not today as many as there was back when the fur prices was high. Yeah. And, uh, but you had to put out tree dogs. Everybody wants a tree dog. Well, you said something earlier. What? It, what it, how would you qualify? Or how would you describe a Briar Creek dog? Chopper versus what you've got now. Well, it's still a lot similar today as the Chopper dog was. Now, Des- describe Chopper. What kind of dog was he? Okay. Uh, Real good track dog, superb tree dog, but they reproduce tree dogs. Was he accurate? Real accurate. Now, all my dogs, is known, they're known for accuracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just, and they don't miss much junk. Uh, I've had brought up to me a lot of times that how can you have a strain of dogs that hunts that good but don't mess with no junk? Pretty straight coon dogs, natural straight. Every once in a while, you'll run into one that's real, real hard to get broke off possums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as the deer and the fox. No fast game. No fast game. Very, yeah. very, very seldom. Uh, pretty good, pretty loud. You like? About all my dogs that have a good mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Good carrying mouth. That's what I remember about Bush Hog. The first right. time I first time I hunted with him yeah. you know he got treed through there and I was like wow you know that's that's a loud dog oh yeah one of the loudest that I probably had had hunted with up yeah. to that point I mean well, just overpowering and I guess the most important part <laughs> might be out of this interview uh, one winner Chopper was actually uh, 17 months old and my hunting buddy hunted a nice walker dog and he always had nice walker dogs but that winter they was seven times when we come out to the truck somebody would be sitting there and they said which one of them dogs is that loud tree dog that's just the red tick (laughs) (laughs) and I thought if he can draw that much attention with other hunters in the area hearing him uh, maybe I ought to try to promote this. You remember those days, though, when when we, you know we could go out and hunt, and you'd run into other people. Yep. And and they'd stop at your truck and see how you were doing. That's right. You never run into anybody anymore. Very seldom. No, no. Do you run into anybody over in your country anymore? Very very seldom. No. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, we ain't got a quarter of the coon hunters that we used to have. Yeah. When the fur prices went away. A lot of your coon hunters went away. Right, right. So what were you looking for? What were you looking for? Traits. If you were going to put together your ideal stud dog, what would you want that dog to be? Well, he can't hardly have a hole in him, period. Now, is there a perfect coon dog? No. 
you're asking me all the questions, but I'm going to tell you. I can tell you I'm going to give you 24 hours to make that dog on paper. I want you to write down everything you want that dog to do. And after you hunt him six months, you'll figure out there was something you left out. Because <laughs> there ain't no perfect dog out there. Right. But to me, to make a top quality stud dog, he can't have, you know, it's got to be the mouth, definitely consistency. Uh, I can't stand a dog that can score a thousand tonight and go jump in a trash can tomorrow night. He's got, he's got to be the same every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got to have hunt, nose, winning ability. Of course, now, very, very seldom will you get a track dog that's good at winding. If he's good at winding, he won't be as good a track dog. Describe the difference. Well, a track dog's got his nose on the ground. A winding dog will run. The tracks he's running, his head's up off the ground running. Mm-hmm. And that way, if he don't hit nothing when that head's up high, he'll win them coons in the first forks and stuff. Right. The prime example of that dog was the Zeb dog. Uh, a lot of people was wanting to put out there when I studied him, well, he's still in a lot of still mouth dogs. He's still mouth. He wasn't still mouth. If you're hunting a still mouth dog, and you go in there, 99% of your coons will be up high in that tree. They bushwhacked them. Mm-hmm. They run into them. The Zeb dog, when we was a-hunting him, when we walked into a tree, the first place we looked was in the first and second fork. What was the difference? The difference was that coon was up there asleep mm-hmm. in the first fork. That means he winded it. He, he didn't. He didn't just run in there and run in on it. I mean, there's a big difference, but a lot of people don't. Well, that's why. That's why we've always, I've always enjoyed talking to you because you always put more into this than just going out and turning a dog loose, oh, and yeah. then getting what you getting what you get. Yeah. You know, I've heard your. We've we've talked enough over the years about how you determine whether it's a female coon or a male coon. Right. You know, and just like the, what you said right now. You know, if a dog is still mouth, coon will be up in the top of the tree because he ran that. A coon, tell me, tell me what a running coon does when it goes up a tree. If a dog, if he knows a dog's, you know, trailing him, where are you gonna find that coon in a tree? The higher up that tree is, the hotter that track was. And that's why a lot of your dogs today that's doing the vast majority of your winning are a hotter nose type dog because that coon will always look at you. He's nervous. If he's laying in the first or second fork, you may never get him to look. Hell, you're, you you coon hunted for years, and am I telling it right or not? You are, yeah. You've had to see this. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I've done is I've listened to guys like you and then and then kind of taken score for myself, Yeah. you know, and, and seeing how accurate that is. Everything from, from uh, you know, the way you the way you determine a male and a female coon to, to uh, you know, to evaluating the tracks. I, whenever I walk into a tree, and then I find the coon, you know, as I 
reflect on that, I always play it backwards from the right. tree to the locate to the track to the strike to the how they left me hunting. That's the way I evaluate evaluate the hunt. I don't start at the beginning and then and then play it out. So, you know, I, yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> on breeding, and this, there's so many things we talk to talk to you about, Jim. But on on the breeding part, um, do you do you like inbreeding, line breeding, or outcrosses? Well, I, I've I've never inbred. And what's your de- what what's your definition of him? I think there's a lot of people out there that that say one thing and mean something else because we we don't boil it down. We've we've never defined what each part is. Well, <clears throat> I would have to go with the same theory that UKC goes with. If it's a father daughter or a full brother and sister, then that's inbreed. Mm-hmm. Now I do some half-brothers and half-sisters. But if I'm doing it, the stud dog's already got to have all the qualities, and that female can't be much behind him. Yeah. Because when you go breeding that close, you got you want to breed good to good because mm-hmm. you're going to double up the good traits, but you're going to double up the bad traits. Right. But... Uh, and I like to do a lot of uncle, nieces, nephews, dance. Uh, Which is better, uncle and niece or nephew to aunt? Or which? Nephew to an aunt. I'd say you'd get the same results. Because a lot of people will say that the, the nephew to the aunt yeah. is better. And then some some people will say the uncle and niece is better. Right. And I say that. They probably haven't bred enough dogs, done enough crosses like that to mm. really know. <laughs> but they're all a gamble. Yeah. It, sometimes <clears throat> it, it works. Sometimes it don't work. That's just like when I pick that stud dog. I, I mean, that's another thing I look at. Uh, if he was the only good one in that letter, he, he, he probably he ain't going to be my stud dog. He can be somebody else's. The more good ones there is in that litter, the better your odds of him, re- either any of them reproducing. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> sometimes, uh, I don't know if I'm wording this right, but when I was growing up, I thought these squirrel dogs, these cur dogs, I thought they was all tree dogs. Yeah. But they're not. So sometimes you just get accidents. Mm-hmm. And an accident dog may be a real, real good dog, but if he was an accident, in my eyes, he probably ain't going to reproduce good. Yeah, he's not going to reproduce his likeness. That's right. So so you're looking at, you'd rather have, you'd rather, would you rather have, what you're saying is you would rather have a good dog out of an above average litter of pups than a superstar out of a below average that's right that's right that goes back to the dog that can score a thousand tonight go jump in a trash can tomorrow night right Uh, there ain't no consistency it'd be the same way on the litter mates if they're not consistent then it ain't it probably ain't gonna work good 
if you're doing an outcross, how good does the female have to be? Well, you know, the better the female is, you gotta. It's going to better your odds. So does it? But you also got to look once in the three generations. Just that one single dog ain't telling, ain't going to do the whole story. It's in three generations now. Uh, have I been good at breeding? I don't know, but I've been lucky. You've been good. I've been well. I know I've been lucky. <laughs> uh, the the reason I'm saying that you just but nobody's as lucky as you've been consistently. Well, but it's just like the competition dog. I always wanted to say it's sixty percent dog and forty percent luck. I don't know. It may be forty percent dog and sixty percent luck. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, the winners got to be consistent. Yeah. You, you can't win if you're win, running off 60% luck. Right. I still got to stick with You got to have luck. Yeah. I don't care how good that dog is. If you don't have some luck, you ain't going to win. The right break. Seeing this coon when you need to see it. That, that's uh, right. You know, getting treed when he needs to get treed. Getting by himself. Getting, you know, the strike. Whatever it, it takes. It's, it's Here's the best way to put it. I've done a lot of winning. But then everybody comes up and they said, how'd you do last night? Well, my dog looked terrible. Well, they think that's a disgrace. There's a lot of obstacles out there. Mm-hmm. And it just depends on how many ob- obstacles you run into that night. If you run into a whole lot of obstacles, sometimes that dog, he just ain't going to look good. Yeah. But on consistency, they got... They got to do the same thing every night. If he'll do the same thing every night, I can win with him. That's what puts competition coon hunting different than like a bird dog field trial where you go to the ideal field and, and you set birds out. I mean, we're, we're turning these dogs loose into places that even though we're guiding, we can't control the skunk that's in the in the fence row, the, you know, the, the, the deer in the field. The guy that's spraying beans, you know, two fields away, uh, you know, the police cars rolling by, whatever it is. You know, there's we're out there, and we've got to deal with what we got. Right. <clears throat> I remember one night I got the – you remember that old Joe dog I had? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that dog was – I had – I think we were hunting over in Illinois, and uh might have been an RQE, and uh, – never had any trash problems with him and and uh, we're standing in a creek and he struck probably f- 50 to 75 yards ahead of us we were in an rqe because i got scratched he comes screaming down this creek right at us his little ditch probably didn't have a foot of water in it and uh uh he caught a beaver right at our feet i mean just just absolutely right caught that beaver right there but uh, that's bad luck, you know, because right. if we'd have been standing a quarter mile away, you'd never he, know that. he'd have rolled out of there and he'd have been gone and he'd have got treed somewhere. That's correct. So that's so the bad luck. That was a bad break. <laughs> Another obstacle. Another <laughs> obstacle. I always think about that. So, okay, so a lot of people will still, I want to get your opinion. Does the female 
how much does she contribute to the success of that litter? Is it 50%? Is it more than 50%? Is it less than 50%? What does Jim Ridge say? Well, now you're putting me on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the reason I picked my stud dog so, so hard is I believe if it's a good female, got good breeding in her three generations, she's going to help do her part. She's going to do the 50%. percent hmm But if you breed 20 females a year, there's probably only going to be two or three that fall in that category. That's why I pick that stud dog so strict because 90% of the time, he's got to carry the weight. He'll get all the credit and he'll get all the blame. That's right. Yeah. But. The, f- the right females does just as much as he does and might help you out 10%. But most of your females that you get bred because all the real, real, real good ones and real, real good bred, that's, it's not just one thing. It's a package. Not all of them's going to come to Jim Ridge. Mm-hmm. Part of them's going to go here and the other part's going to go somewhere else. But the real, the more what I call a, a good female, there's going to be way more of them spread out between me and all the other breeders too. Mm-hmm. But they're not helping as much as the handful of real, real good ones. And, and the reason I'm saying that it's because everybody ain't going to come to me. If all them right females come to me, then you're really going to set the world on fire. Right. And, and they're doing their part. But most of them is just, they're good females, but they ain't got all the extras. And I hope I'm making sense the way I'm working. So genetically, I mean, just talking genetically, you've got a female over here. She's got these genetics lined up. Say she's this three-generation pedigree looks like, you know, one way, and you've got a stud dog over here genetically, you make that. When you get those genetics going together, then is can she contribute more than 50% or less than 50% of that mating? Well, she's going to do one or the other. <laughs> but the vast majority of them is going to be under. Yeah. Not higher. Do you think hunting a female while they're, while they're bred helps that litter? I don't know if it makes them any smarter, but it's going to make them healthier. Yeah. Yeah. So. I've heard I've heard that that when you breed a female that's that's uh, or when you hunt a female that's bred, you know when they when they're out there and they're it's just like women listening to music, right. or, you know, women playing piano, or daddy talking to the baby, you know, and people um, that when you're hunting that female. She's carrying those pups. They're getting the same endorphin dumps and different things, the same adrenaline rushes and stuff when they tree, right. and and that helps. And I I I believe it. You know, maybe it's just because I've always hunted the females up until I couldn't. 
right and and uh, liked most of what I've got but do uh, you think what do you think and now a quick word from our sponsor Dakota 283 offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds. We're talking about military-grade kennel crates. Uh, I got got one of these two-door kennel crates here at the house. It is super heavy-duty. It's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel. Easily fits in the back of an SUV, or if you're traveling with a camper shell, it's a great way to keep your dog protected while you are traveling. You just got to check out their Dash Series. This is a watering system, and I've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years, but this system is all integrated into one unit, and the way it's designed out of high-impact plastic, the water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it. Check them out. Uh, the 3.5 is also compact enough that I can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while I'm out hunting when it's super cold. I've had exterior tanks before, and as soon as I go to cold climates, then I've got to figure out how I'm going to get water to my hounds, and the dash takes care of that. So check out Dakota 283 at dakota283.com and at checkout enter the code hxp10 and get 10 percent off of your order it'll make them healthier but i don't know how much it helps your brain but you, you, you are making sense yeah i mean maybe every time that bitch trees maybe some of that is dwindling into their brain i don't know I don't know. You you think, you think you know. Just hearing that dogs are real. Vi- they can learn visually, and I'm wondering if you know when they're in that womb, and they hear that rhythm of that dog tree, and you know they're also picking up something through the female like that. So that's why I never really like brood females. I mean, right. brood females are genetically what they are, right. you know. But we really don't know what they're capable of doing. Uh, a good brood female will have a great looking pedigree and she may just be be just as capable of producing the next world champion as as the all-star female that's being hunted right but what what's your thoughts on brood brood females well i own some but i can't hunt all of them Mm -hmm. but you hit it on the nail head, they got to have a good reproductive pedigree, and they got to be stay put tree dogs. Yeah, uh, you you can bring a poodle out of New York and turn him loose on the farm. He'll run around and smell on the ground, but he won't run up there and smell up a tree. Yeah, you got to breed tree dogs into them. So hopefully. Even though she may not be a top-notch female, if the breeding's there and she's a good stay-put tree dog, then maybe she's going to help promote that on through on the pups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to ask you something I've been meaning to ask you a couple times. <clears throat> what was it? Having a blank here, Jim. Well, good, these questions may get tougher. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they're not tougher. 
uh, I can't remember what it is. It'll come to me as we talk here. But uh, you've always been you've always been a big supporter of this sport, and you know the things you've put into it. Everything from were you ever you were on the board here with the United. Were you on the board with the United English Breeders? Oh yeah. You're on the board. Did you ever serve in any offices? Oh yeah. 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 I've, Lots of them. <laughs> Were you ever the president of the organization? Vice president. Vice president. Yeah. Yeah. And you but see- since you brought that up, I quit doing it because when I'd come to English days, I was too busy visiting and promoting the dogs. You're doing that when you're visiting. Mm-hmm. That I felt like I'd done my part for the association other than English Days weekend, I felt like I wasn't carrying my weight, so I quit being an officer. Yeah. I took it, this is my weekend to visit with all the people I know, mm-hmm. rather than working. Yeah. Now, now, other than English Days itself, I've done a lot for the association. Sure. But when it comes to it, uh, <clears throat> I felt like I wasn't doing my part, so I didn't want to be part of it. How much role did you have in in uh, getting the spring super stakes in Sullivan, Indiana? And I, I brought the spring super stakes to Sullivan. <laughs> right. And uh, it stayed there 18 years. Uh, I ramrodded it 10 or 11, and then due to different situations, I dropped out and Mike Gilbert run it the last eight years. Right. But you, but, were, you, were, you were involved at all kinds of levels on that, everything from DNR permits because oh, yeah. we would talk about that to, you know, making sure that the state state representative was aware right. and involved. And Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of work putting on them type of hunts. Right. There, it is any big major event. Right. But... Whenever you're dealing with the super stakes or a world hunt, then there's there's a lot goes on. Yeah, how many how many dogs do they hunt a week over at super stakes? Uh, I'm gonna say Entries. that. Hundred and eighty to two hundred. Yeah, a night, right? Every night. Every night for all night. <laughs> two rounds every night. Yeah. Yep, yeah. and that that makes a big. You got satellite clubs. You got oh, yeah. people running around. Plus, you got the impact on your local community. Yeah. You know, good and bad. Mostly well, good. Mostly good. It brought. It brings a lot of money into the county. Yep. Uh, but you've also got to be that guy that's out there. You know, smoothing the rough waters for the guy that got on somebody's place. And well, now that you brought that up. <laughs> I, I will tell you one thing. I was proud of our. Coon Club, you hear about all these other associations, the quail, quail, deer hunters, turkey hunters, but when we brought that super stakes to Sullivan, Indiana, every year we made a $500 donation to Shop with a Cop. We made a $500 donation to our Father's Arms, which is to help clothe needy people. Mm-hmm. And we made a $500 donation to the Brown Baggers, 
which is feeding needy kids all year round. It started out just during the school year. Right. But for 18 years and you're making a $1,500 donation to the needy people in the county, you'd think them people would praise a coon hunter, but they still don't like us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just because they got a barking dog out there that can't shut up in their yard. Right, right. I remember what I was going to ask you. So you made a comment earlier today when we're out here talking. You said we've read the notes out of these dogs. We've read the tracking ability out of them. Yeah. Yeah. So tell, tell the listeners the difference of tracking ability of dogs then versus this dog. Well, I, I'm going to try to make this real short, or shorter than maybe you're wanting it. But every time you turn a dog loose in Indiana or Illinois, that dog shouldn't have to go. miles to strike a coon. He's trying to get by himself and he's looking for that hot coon. In Indiana and Illinois, a dog ought to be able to strike a coon most times under 500 yards and trim under 500 yards. Now that's that's what my I was talking about. When I said we bred the tracking ability out of them, they go through there so hard, so fast, they're overrunning tracks. They're not going to stop and work up a track that might take you 30 minutes to get him treated. Mm-hmm. But like I told my handler, That dog in there, 0.70, by the time you got in there and scored him, mine would be, uh, a track dog would be treed back here 300 yards from me, and I got him treed by the time you got that one scored, and I didn't walk you near as far. Yeah. I mean... So you're saying it's... I'm getting old now, (laughs) but people want that action-packed dog. Right. So what you're saying is, by the time a dog gets in there at .7, strikes, trees, you score it, you could have used the same same amount of time on the on the dog that was 300 yards away. That's right. That's interesting. I've never heard anybody think with mm-hmm. that with that logic on it. That that makes perfect sense because you're right. I've ever walked 350 yards no at .70. Oh. But you know, and you start looking at at our casts. Uh, by the time you walk .7 and score a tree and somebody split tree, I mean, that's a one-hour cast is a one one coon hunt. A one-hour cast, you got to have a good strike dog. you got to have a strike dog and you got to have a coon. Yeah. Because by the time you get done and you got four hounds in that cast are splitting up and going four different ways, you've got one shot. That's right. And it better be a good one. And that's where the luck comes in. That's right. So yeah, you got to have a good strike dog, too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. But that's my opinion of breeding the nose out of them. And a dog, 
And then the, I got a word at Indiana and Illinois because that's where I do 95% of my hunting. Mm-hmm. But a dog, every time you turn him, that, that, that dog that went .70 every time you turn him loose, Trey Coons overrunning Coons. Why is he overrunning Coons, you think? Why is he doing that? He ain't got the nose. He ain't got the, he ain't got the nose because he's going through there to, so fast looking for that hot one. Is that a is that an inherited trait you think? Yeah. Yeah. So which would you which would you if you were what we when would we say we thirty years ago is when we met? Thirty uh-huh. years ago, what kind of what kind of dog did you want thirty years ago? The three hundred yard dog or the point seven dog? I prefer the three hundred any time. From beginning to now. Yeah, if you can tree one, three hundred now, you can tree another, tree another, you can tree one or two more before you get to that point seven. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you're thinking. <laughs> I like well, the, I, I do. I think that, you know that, and I mean it's it makes sense. I just kind of boil it down to, you know, this deep and lonely stuff seems to be really took off probably the last what ten seven started up about ten years ago and kind of hit its peak. It's real popular now. Yeah. Yeah, and but but the way you the way you spelled it out, by the time you walk and score, you could have scored a coon and been turned loose. And that I'll throw another little gig in on that. Uh, the other thing on that deal is them deep and lonely get you on property that you ain't supposed to be on. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't hold the dogs today. In a 90-minute cast, you cannot keep them on property that you actually have permission on unless you're on state property or something. Right, right. Yeah, our farms aren't big enough anymore. No. I mean, my main guiding place that I used to use was one mile wide and two mile long. You could hold them in there. For how long? For a two-hour cast? Yeah, up until about five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, five years ago you can't hold a dog in a two mile by one mile radius. Mm-mm. Not not when you turn four dogs. Though. No, they're all going. And do you think that's because of the the breeders trying to get more independence in dogs, or they didn't want dogs covering, so they they bred those. Well, they're breeding for independence. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. Used to all the dogs treed together. Now they very, very seldom treed together. Nope, nope. And guys are upset when they do. Oh yeah. Yep, yep. And uh, yeah, it's a whole different dynamic. Well, I'll tell you what. I think uh, you got anything else you want to add on the breeding side of it? No. If you if you were going to talk to if you're going to talk to a young guy that came to you looking for a dog. What would you tell him he needs to look for in a in a dog? The young guy that's trying to get started. What's he need to look for in a in a coon dog in twenty twenty one? A dog or a puppy? Let's let's go with the dog first. Let's just go with the dog and forget the puppy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh you know, I mean, if they're out there and they're going to go look to buy a young dog, they need to hunt it by itself. 
and needs to be able to go hunting by itself. It needs to be able to tree a coon. Stay treed till you get to it. Uh, and hunt with it at least two nights. Don't that, You may go the first night and it may not look very good. And then you go the second night. And you're glad you went with it the second night if you was really wanting to buy a dog. Yeah. Uh, and then one of them two nights, you need to mix him just to make sure he, he don't show much aggression or anything. Right, right. So. So, um, what, I think, I think we just kind of wrap it up on the breeding side there, Jim, but, uh. You know, I think one thing we kind of started down the path before I remembered the question, I sidetracked you, but, you know, not only have you been involved with the Breeders Association here, Super Stakes, you were on the board for UKC for a while. Um, and But one of the things that, that I'm most appreciative of is the work you did with the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance. And, well, thank you. And getting us started and and jumping on board and i remember when you came on you said you, you've always been that guy that shot me straight you know <laughs> you know you just sh shoot straight with me all the time and you said i'll give you a year yeah and then i'm gonna go do some stuff that i want to do <laughs> that's right and, and that's the same thing i said about the association yeah i mean if i can't fulfill the whole project i don't want to fill full any of it really yep yep but the association we needed the hoosier the hoosier tree dog it, it, yep. it, it done us a lot of good yep yep we need to find some people to jump back in there and kind of put some life back in that thing and uh, but that happens in everything sure <laughs> well i mean you, if there's not a crisis then it kind of goes by the wayside and yeah Coon hunters aren't in, aren't in any you know real threat right now that that they can see. So right. it's easier to go to a PKC hunt, a one hour hunt, or than go to a board meeting. That's you know, right, and stuff like that. But yeah, we need to. Every state needs a good organization to to represent their best interests and and be that voice for them. So. That's true. Well, Jim, I appreciate your time. I know you came here to visit with your friends and everything else i'm glad you took time to visit with me and i've appreciated your friendship for the last 30 years that's for sure oh yeah yeah it's been a good one i, I appreciate you asking me for this yeah yeah all right well thank you very much all right all right until next time you follow your hounds and i'll follow mine <laughs>